On the Empire Podcast this week, it's a veritable smorgasbord of self-congratulation and candle blowing as we celebrate our first birthday! Yes, that's right, we're one year old. This pod, and to help see us in our second year in style, Eli Roth, Mark Strong, again, and welcome to the punch director, Iran Creevy, drop in for a chat and a nice slice of lovely birthday pod cake. Also, we review some films, we talk about films, and we do all the things you can do with films without actually getting arrested. Hello, pod, I'm Chris Hewitt. Back after a cheeky trip to LA to reunite two childhood heroes and legends. You can read all about that in the next issue of Empire on sale March 28th. Quick plug. And this is the Empire Podcast, the only movie podcast I was hoping the Bishop from Monty Python might have bagged the top job. Maybe next time. I was hoping for the impressive clergyman from The Princess Bride, inevitably. He is a, he is a very impressive clergyman. Wav tu wav. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm joined this week, you've heard one already, by a conclave of some of the highest ranking film Catholics Good. around. Starting with an actual film Catholic. <laughs> it's Helen O'Hara. How right. are you? Only by birth, only by birth. You missed out, you were that close. I was so close. Um, yes, there was something about having the wrong, you know, chromosomes and they wouldn't... What's that about? I know. Give Blatant the discrimination. Outrageous. Stuck in the past, come on. Uh, we, we're solving major world issues here on the Empire Podcast. Uh, next, we all know that Germany has declared war on the Jones boys, but when they're not available, the Semlian boys will do. Here's one of them. It's Nick. Hello. Hello. Hi, Chris. I do actually have a book signed by Hitler. Really? No. Oh, okay. Whatever you hear, I don't. What's a thumbprint? Is it The Hunger Games Mockingbird? Or what's it called? Mockingjay? Mockingjay. Mockingjay. What is a Mockingjay? It's yeah. a genetically engineered bird of the future. It's a cross between a Mockingbird and a Blue Jay. So it only exists in the Hunger Games books. Mm-hmm. So it's genetically engineered? Yeah. So Hitler would actually have loved it. Because he was all about genetic engineering. Well, he was about eugenics, but yeah, let's not split hairs. Yes. Last but not least, it's the editor of the podcast, a man for whom every pod is an up-at-dawn pride-swallowing siege that he will never fully tell you about. Well, he'll try to, but then you'll walk away because it gets quite dull after a while. It's Ali Plum. Yeah, I look forward to sneaking in all the bloopers that I've removed, all the racist remarks, all the casual sexism. I'm just going to stick them all into this one. Just keep an well, ear out That's pretty much a hell and only podcast then, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> outrageous. Hello. High five, everybody. <laughs> so there we go. Now the formalities are out of the way. Let's tuck into some lovely cake. Do we have any cake? Uh, sadly, no. We have no cake. No. Uh, health and safety aid at all, presumably. Yeah. Uh, we have the next best thing. There's, questions. Oh, I'll be honest. That <laughs> cupcake, presumably. Questions made of cake. Questions? No, it's just questions made of of questions. Uh-huh. Uh, first up is at the real Alobu. Hang on, what's the name the is real this? O- the real Obimu. The real Obimu. Okay, I get it. The real Obimu, uh, who asks, since it's your pod birthday, which movie party would you like to attend? I was thinking about this and I was tempted initially by the party on the train in Some Like It Hot. Mm-hmm. But then I realised, you know, it's all girls only and two guys dressed in drag who are pretending to be girls and that might get a bit boring after a while. So then I was thinking maybe the party in the funeral home at the beginning of Some Like It Hot instead. Okay. Because <laughs> right. there's, you know, gangsters and it would be a bit exciting. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Ali? Uh, the party at the end of High Fidelity when Jack Black is singing, I would like to go to that party. I'd also like to go to when Harry Met Sally's New Year's Eve party right at the very end. Oh, that's a good party. Yeah. And I would also like to go to the Labyrinth Masquerade. Oh, I thought you were going to say the, the scene with all the goblins dancing around and babies being thrown up in the air. The magic dance. The magic dance That's party. a good party. Magic yeah, I'll go to that, yeah. Oh my yeah. God, you like to throw babies in there. I think what health and safety would you? come down on that like a ton of bricks. Did you say elf and safety? <sighs> yes, I did. <laughs> um, I'm going with Dragnet. I always go with Dragnet, but there is a spectacular <laughs> party. The pagans, the, the pagans. people against good and normal seed, they know how to rock it. They've got uh, goatskin leggings. Yep. They've got illegal amphetamines. They've got the nectar of shaitan. I never yep. worked out what that was, but it sounds amazing. Uh, Animal House, obviously. Someone has to say Animal House. 
Toga party. Toga. Um, I was thinking about. I got thinking about this. Uh, like the worst movie birthday has to be Smeagol's, right? That well, guy has bad. a terrible birthday. He doesn't get any presents. He finds an evil ring, and he goes fishing with his, his life. gimpy friend. Who... I don't know. Sweet Sixteen's a pretty bad birthday. Where she turns sixteen and everybody forgets her, mm. and and she has all sorts of run-ins with weirdos. Yeah. That's pretty bad birthday bad. but then she gets that ridiculous um, fantasy boy at the end of it so I guess the next morning so I guess that's a compensation of some sort I don't know which movie is this Sweet 16 you know John Hughes Molly oh uh, I haven't seen that one yeah it's not one of his best okay um, my move, the move party I'd like to attend apart from obviously the, the party at the end of The Shining because that looks like a swinging party uh, with great bartender Hepcat uh, yeah man uh, would, I'd go to the Avenue of the Stars in LA and I'd go to a certain building, and I'd go up there at Christmas, obviously. And I'd go to the thirtieth floor of the Nakatomi Plaza, and they have a lovely party going up there, full swing, mm. canapes, string quartet, the whole caboodle, Boots. and absolutely nothing would go wrong. I, I can't see California. any problem with that. There's nothing. I can't see anyone gay crashing out, nope. taking it over, uh, taking all the guests hostage. That because that would just ruin things. It wouldn't be Christmassy. It wouldn't. So that's what I would do. That, that's my favourite movie party. I cannot think of a single movie birthday apart from the two you just said. Absolute nonsense. Come on. The beginning of Lord I of the Rings. Bilbo's birthday. Bilbo's birthday. And you have a massive that's a good birthday. fireworks super party. Yeah, that's a good one. Mm. Oh, that would have been a good party. Darn it, one of us should have said that. I yeah. just did. Well, okay then. There he did, but he bailed me out. Thanks, man. Thank <laughs> All right, got you back. Uh, I don't think that was that good a party, but anyway. <clears throat> it was a pretty good party. The fireworks were okay, but they clamped the down on the fireworks. Were okay. he, he didn't even want them to use that firework. He got annoyed when they set it off. Rubbish party. I think he music's got, terrible. He knew that was going to happen. Gandalf knew. Yeah. I did. Yeah, yeah. Too many furry-footed people. <laughs> wow, hobbit. Racism, that's one. I know, I know. You've got to cut that one out. Helen, you got any, any sexism you want to throw out there? Ah, no, it's fine. You're all good. All, all right. right. Uh, okay, the next three questions are very, very similar, but they're from at 5795Mike, uh, at James Film Critic, and at Lee Carl Jackson. So you can't confuse him with real Carl Jackson or Carl Jackson or Carl Jackson 8914. It's Lee Carl Jackson. And they're all basically asking, what have our highlights been over the last year? I know we don't want to you know, chase our, uh, eat our own tails or, mm. or chase ourselves too much in this one. But screw it, we were a year old. Yeah. Take that, people who said we wouldn't hit six months. Uh, we're here <laughs> one year in, uh, so we're going to do this a little bit. Uh, what have been our highlights and who we'd like to interview So uh, in the future? Kermit. Kermit was a massive highlight. Okay. Um, because even though I could see his, let's say, assistant. His assistant. In the podcast, obviously, with yes. him. Um, I still find myself talking very much directly to Kermit, which was unexpected and, and bizarre. We and did wonderful. have to cut out a lot of the swearing and um, <laughs> yeah. the more <laughs> colourful sort of Mel Gibson-esque. Well, the racism <laughs> and the sexism, yeah. Uh, yeah, from Kermit. Stylings. Yeah. He was, the, yeah, he got pretty wild. He's yeah. as bad as Helen sometimes. Yeah. Well, nearly. Huge entourage as well. <laughs> Huge. Yeah. Well, Helen or Kermit? <laughs> they were mostly chickens. But, um, <laughs> Again, Helen and Kermit. <laughs> Be more clear. My favourites have all been quite personal, like as in... I've always wanted to meet them and, and interview them properly. So Eric Idle was a real treat oh, for yeah. me. Mm. Um, Adam Buxton, who I have interviewed beforehand, but on radio was something special. Like I, I'm a huge Adam and Joe podcast fan, and then I was in a podcast with one of Adam and Joe. That was surreal. And also the Red Dwarf guys. If I need to hear James do his pitch perfect Crichton impression, oh, it wasn't that pitch perfect, sir. But mm. it was so good that he encourages Chris Barry. To <laughs> that his was own amazing. Version. That was fantastic, actually. James <laughs> was like, oh, stepped it up. Oh, really? You're stepping on my turf? Okay, <laughs> that was here amazing. it is. He should have done an impression of uh, James. That would, have, that would have been amazing. That would have been incredible. Um, I enjoyed um, J- Jackie Chan sang to us a little bit at Comic Con. That was delightful. Mm-hmm. I liked Denzel Washington doing a bit of Revolution Nine. Um, 
that was uh, what about of, Roger Moore's um, uh, Christmas dinner and talking to Roger Moore about his uh, Brussels sprout preparation technique uh, I also yeah trying to explain Inception to him that didn't go down so well mm. but, and, and asking him about Alan Partridge which is something I've wanted to do for a very long time um, also I'd mention um, eating a brain shaped cake with Nicholas Holt um, <laughs> that, that was a lot of fun when he was in to talk about warm bodies um, it just happened we had a brain shaped cake in the office that day and it seemed appropriate to save it for him uh, I've had some amazing highlights. It's been a fantastic year. We've done a lot of great specials. Uh, if you haven't heard them, you can go back. They're still available on SoundCloud and through, via the website. Uh, Taron Stamp springs to mind. He was probably the first person we had in for a special. We had an hour with Taron Stamp. It was amazing. Paddy Considine was the first guest in the pod booth, mm. and that was, that's a good way to start off. He was he was fantastic. Uh, William Friedkin, uh, which. Um, criminally remains our least listened to show if you want to know anything about filmmaking and this man has got amazing stories to, uh, to tell go and listen to the William Freakin special it is an hour and it is freaking amazing um, and I've, oh. I've, uh, thank you um, <laughs> and there's just been tons and tons of, of really really good people Jason Isaacs Jason obviously Isaacs. We, we stole him away he from him he's normally locked up in Mark Commode's vault it's been, a, it's been a good year and hopefully we can keep it going in the second year but you know what the highlight's been for me guys was oh, it my joke? Hang, hanging with you every Thursday. Oh. Hanging with you for an hour. Oh, I wish I could yeah. say likewise. You know, yeah. Yes, you, you can say likewise. Can I? You just did in that oh. sentence. I'm going to turn it back in your Darren okay. Brown style. I see. So there you go. Being locked in a room with you for an hour every week has been a real yeah. treat. You had me at Hello Pod. And uh, who would we like to see in the future? Steven Spielberg. Yep. That's the reason I joined Empire. I still haven't properly interviewed him. This is very upsetting to but me. You've been in the same room as him, right? I've been in the same room, but it was a press conference. It doesn't count. I've shaken his hand, but never spoken to him. He's he came over during the, Go uh, the Goonies photo shoot, mm. which I did the interview, but he wasn't part of the, the group interview. And he, he came over to me and Chris and said hello, which was very nice of him. I thought he was about to throw us out. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, he said hello, and I went, ah! He was aware of Nixon's sendry views on Hook. On Hook? Who's Hook? Who's Hook? Who's Hook? Uh, hook. Um, but yeah, um, I don't know who else. James Cameron, I'd love to have in here. Yeah, he's, he's could, he could probably great, build actually. us a better pod booth, to be, to be honest. Yeah. He's already working on it, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tarantino, obviously, would, mm -hmm. be, would be amazing. Um, and somewhat intimidating, but but incredible. Um, I think Gary Busey, I think that would probably be the final podcast. I think he'd probably <laughs> demolish the building. There'd just be a crater and uh, bits of us left over. But yeah, that would be awesome. It'd be worth it. Yeah. Bruce, Bruce Campbell. Um, I would just love action heroes in here. I'd love Sly in here. I'd love Chuck Norris in here. I'd like Jason Statham. I'd like The Rock. The Statham. Yeah. I would yeah. really like them in this environment, just just kind of chatting freely and honestly about their work. I've invited The Rock. You've the invited podcast. The Rock. Yeah. Yes. He kind of did the yeah. That sounds great. Let's do it. I'm but not hang sure. on, isn't The Rock your close personal friend? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I'm sure he's on his way. He's probably you know wandering around on the second floor trying to find this place. He'll know. never. He'll never get here. He'll it's punch his way through walls. Mess. He can do anything. Uh, that's it for your questions. Uh, so much for the navel gazing. Onwards and upwards into the second year. You can contact us if you want to get on the uh, the show next week. Uh, we're on Twitter at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast or we won't see it. Uh, you can Facebook us at uh, We're Empire Magazine on that, obviously. And you can email us, podcast at empireonline.com. Okay, on to the first of our guests now. After enough for a birthday episode, I've celebrated the birthday on film sets with this guy twice. Or at least he's oh. been on the film sets twice. Yeah. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had your birthday on a film set? No, I had it at the Empire Awards one year. The Empire Awards? Yeah. Okay. Ali, ever been on a film set for your birthday? No, no. Four no. times for me. Never happened. Weirdly. No. Uh, in 2005, I was on set of Southland Tales in LA, and this guy came along to set to say hello, and then ended up being roped in by Richard Kelly to keep a fortune teller quiet. They were shooting a famous 
Boulevard and she was being very, very loud deliberately during takes and they offered her money and uh, she didn't take it. So this guy had to go and sit down with her and keep her quiet for have his palm read for three hours straight just to keep her quiet during filming then the next year I was on set and I got a cake as well which was awesome oh brilliant uh, I know um, uh, on a set of a little film called Hostel Part 2 it is of course Eli Roth the master of modern horror the director of Hostel Hostel Part 2 and Cabin Fever the star of Glorious Bastards and the smoothest talking horror mofo around he has no less than two films coming out uh, starting with this week's The Last Exorcism 2 great title and he popped in to talk to myself and Nick about Lat and oh much much more we're delighted to be joined in the Paul booth by none other than Eli Roth hello sir hello Chris so you're in town to you know to talk about The Last Exorcism 2 yes and Aftershock and yes. then you're heading up to Glasgow today is that, I am. Is that correct tomorrow for Fright Fest uh, Fright Fest UK is that your first time in Glasgow you it is my first time in Glasgow you're looking forward to it I'm very excited people have warned me that I really need to practice drinking before I go there <laughs> that's something that I'm going to need to get better at have you not been practicing drinking over the last 40 years or so? Uh, no, actually, I'm not much of a drinker. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. Okay. Sadly. All right. So, despite my reputation for being a drunk <laughs> at all times on set. Um, no, I'm really excited to go there. The fans are nuts, and the people who run Fright Fest are fantastic. I had such a great time with the first Last Exorcism, if we can call it that now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I wanted to come back and okay. really freeze my ass off and have fun. Uh, so uh, you're talking about the, the second Last Exorcism now. Yes. Um, the original title was The Last Exorcism 4, but we thought that would be silly. <laughs> so we called it The Last Exorcism 2. Was there ever talk about another Last Exorcism or one more Last Exorcism? or The Laster Exorcism? Yeah. Actually, I wanted to call right after the first one. The original title of the movie was Cotton. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. Lionsgate changed it to The Last Exorcism, which we thought was cool because it's The Last Exorcism of Cotton Marcus. Yeah. And then as soon as it opened, I was like, I got a great title for the sequel. I want to call it The Devil Inside. And they were like, oh, that's cool. And then we're like, what's the movie about? We're like, I don't know. So we spent a long time <laughs> writing the script. We're like, all right, we got the script. And then by cut to The Devil Inside. Yeah. So we wound up just calling it Last Exorcism 2 okay. so people would know what it was. Okay. Then the first movie was, as you say, originally called Cotton, and it was very much about Cotton. Uh, I know that the end of the first movie is pretty definitive uh, when it comes to Cotton but was there ever talk about and then with a single bound he was free and then we follow his story for this movie because you've definitely definitely not done that no we wanted to follow now we killed him in the first one and that was part <laughs> of the fun was he got what he deserved yeah um, and it, we the first one was sort of open ended in, in a bit of a what the hell happened kind of ending which yeah. was what we wanted um, but the second one we wanted to shoot it's not docu-style it's straight narrative and we just really you know Ashley Bell is such a wonderful actress and did such a great job as now we really wanted to just follow her story um, and we love the idea of what happens when you can't escape this thing and this thing follows you that whatever she went through it's still with her she has absolutely no memory of it but that but the movie that everyone saw that's the last exorcism exists in the world of the sequel but as a viral video yeah. so people the other characters in the movie are like oh do the thing where you bend your back and snap your fingers <laughs> um, and Ashley's really but she has no memory of any of it so yeah. it was it was also fun to play with the idea of what happened if you actually started to embrace this thing mm-hmm. and realize that maybe you were better off with it in you oh interesting yeah that was fun I was like oh, I've never seen the possessed girl what happens if she's like hey this is this is actually great <laughs> what I can do <laughs> give us all sorts of possibilities are there always worries when you do a movie like this uh, for a second time tackling this subject matter that the exorcist to the heretic is, is hanging there as a, as a warning what not to do don't do that it's true although Exorcist 2 has the greatest trailer ever it does if you YouTube it with an amazing theme by Morricone um, yeah no we, we really spent a long time with it the first one came out almost three years ago so we wanted to 
in the first movie we spent three years working on the script so we said we're not really gonna we're not gonna make another one unless we have a great idea and we loved the idea of you know this thing following her and being in love with her and her starting to embrace that mm. and it's uh uh, you've also got Aftershock as well. Aftershock, yeah, up. which I'm yeah. really excited. It's going to come up probably in June in the UK, I think. We just got a mm-hmm. May 10th release date in the US. That was fun. That one I wrote and produced and my friend Nicolas Lopez directed um, and I'm I'm in it. And uh, we went to Chile and we wreaked havoc and destroyed things. And what's great about <laughs> Chile is we, we're starting a new thing called Chilewood, which is making movies for the world in <laughs> Chile. And we were able to really, really smash things and break things. And I remember when we filmed <laughs> The Earthquake, we had all these girls, because the earthquake hit at 3.30, it's based on real events, and the earthquake yeah. really hit at 3.30 in the morning, and ceilings crashed, and tsunamis hit, it was terrible. But we had all these girls in heels running and screaming and ceiling dropping, and I was like, wow, these stunt, these stunt girls are amazing. They're like, uh, yeah, stunt girls. <laughs> so basically, when they were like, action, we closed our eyes and prayed to God that no one got killed. Thankfully, no one did. Am I right in thinking that Selena Gomez um, appears in the film? Selena Gomez does appear in the film. Only she's a fun cameo. She was there doing a concert and she came by the set. And I was like, do you want to be in the movie? Right. And we just wrote a scene where she kind of shoots me down, where I embarrassingly hit on her. She's hilarious. (laughs) She's really cool. She's a total horror fan. She loves the Hostel movies. Really? She's a huge horror fan. So I have no doubt I will one day work with Selena. She's an absolute sweetheart. Very, very, very cool girl. Have you seen Spring Breakers yet? I have seen Spring Breakers. I went to like an eight in the morning screening in Toronto. I loved it. That was amazing. (laughs) The scene with James Franco at the piano playing Britney Spears is the best scene of the year so far. It's pretty damn good. It's It's hard to top that scene. It's hard. Yeah, it's it's utterly demanded. Um, But um, it's been... If you look at the... You've been producing a lot. You've been acting a lot since Hostel Part 2. But if you look at the uh, directed by uh, credits on your CV, there is almost a Kubrickian gap now, which you've just about... You've just filled with The Green Inferno. That's right. Well, after I worked with an actor named Chris Hewitt, I thought, really, <laughs> where do I go from here as a director? And the answer is nowhere. It's rock so it's bottom. just sort of... just I just felt like I was empty creatively. Like I had nothing left to contribute to modern cinema. So I really wanted to take some time to really recharge my batteries and sort of find that Hewittian inspiration yeah. again yeah. that I once had. It's like this. It's like it's actually sad. You get depressed after you after you direct an actor like Chris Hewitt. I thought you've never worked with an actor who actually looked at the camera during a take before. That <laughs> no, was, that, that was, was weird. He didn't yeah. know that wasn't allowed. It's like yeah. he broke the fourth wall. Like it didn't exist. Rules don't matter to me. Um, and it, the Green Inferno. You know, I wrote it sort of in a fever pitch with. Um, uh, the writer I wrote Aftershock with with Nicolas Lopez and while we were shooting Aftershock I had such a great experience shooting in Chile and um, I really love the 70s cannibal movies Cannibal Holocaust and you know Cannibal Ferox but I, I wanted to do them but I didn't really have a strong story for it and then I thought about modern activism and saw what all these student activists were doing and I wrote this story about these student activists that want to save dying tribes in the Amazon which is mm-hmm. a real thing now these tribes are disappearing so they go down and they chain themselves to trees and they do a protest they want to stream it with their phones and they do and it works and they save them and then of course their plane crashes on the way home and they just get kidnapped because the people are like oh food from the sky and they're like <laughs> oh we saved you and it's it's brutal it was incredible I filmed in the Amazon with people who had never, like, not only was there no electricity and running water, we literally went up the Amazon, like, past where Werner Herzog shot Aguirre the Wrath of God, to the last village on the river, and we pulled them, we're like, hey, can we film a movie here? And our Peruvian producers were like, we have to explain to them conceptually what a movie is. They had <laughs> oh no God. idea. We So we brought a generator and a television and they showed the, the entire village cannibal holocaust <laughs> to give them an idea of what we're doing children so there are five year old kids in Kayanayaku who have no idea what a movie is their, their only frame of reference for a movie is cannibal holocaust and they all signed up to play cannibals so everyone was like eating body parts but it was it was crazy to be in this place 
you know, to go from Los Angeles to a village where people freaked out over ice. Like we brought Gatorade in, in ice. Right. They went crazy over ice. They'd never seen ice before. Oh my God. We're like, this is what happens to water when you freeze it. And it was the first day that we were shooting. It was, it was insane. I mean, it was four and a half hours of travel every day. It was very dangerous just to get there. And we had heads on spikes and bodies. I mean, I, I, it was like Colonel Kurtz's village. Like I dressed it like, like, like absolute hell. And the, we were about to shoot the first day and two boats full of Christian missionaries pulled up. <laughs> you couldn't script it. And they were like from Peru, but also from like a super church in Texas. And they were like, the devil has come here. And they got out the speakers and the microphones and they tried to start like preaching to convert them. It was unbelievable. I'm amazed they didn't just run for it. <laughs> no, that was like, they were like, thank God we're here where these people need saving. Then they said, oh, Eli Roth's here. All right. Forget <laughs> it's too it. late. Yeah, it was too late because these kids who had never seen ice before, by the end, we're already talking about headshots and which agency should they go with Amazing. iPads, iPhones, everything. We totally corrupted the social ecosystem of that place. So thank God they didn't think Cannibal Holocaust was an instructional video then. No, they how didn't. How to guide. No, it was amazing. We put, we actually put how we the way we paid them was we put we metal on all the roofs in the houses because they live in straw oh, huts. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Oh, fantastic. So um, roughly about seven years in between Hospital Part Two and The Green Inferno, which is a fantastic title, by the way. Seven years, but thank you. About seven years, about seven years. But during that time, you, you things almost got off the ground for you. Cell and Endangered Species. How close did you actually come to making one of those movies in well, that interim period? Um, I Never. I, I always got kind of distracted by other things. I, I really just did whatever I wanted. That mm. was the nice thing. Um, after Hostel 2, I wanted to take a break from directing. And then the opportunity came up to act in Glorious Bastards. So I threw everything into that. And I rode that all the way through all the press and the Oscars. And then... Last Exorcism, I you know came on and that was my first producing yeah. thing separate from Quentin's. That was a big deal. I wanted to make sure that worked. And then Iron Fist got greenlit by Universal, so I went off to China and worked with Riza. So it, there were all these great projects and fun opportunities that I really wanted to fully take advantage of. And then um, kind of by the end of AfterShock, I was really ready to get back into directing again. Mm -hmm. And I felt confident. I felt great and confident that I was able to you know raise money for projects on my just on my name, but. The other projects that didn't happen for one reason or another, Endangered Species is something I still definitely want to do. But, you know, Cell, it just wasn't right. Yeah. I, you know, I was at odds with the studio and it was completely, we were making completely different movies. So I said, instead of fighting this, I'm going to go do something else. So there was never any animosity about it. Um, and, you know, the wine scenes are releasing Aftershock and Clown. So we're, and we did Bastards. So we're all friends. But all the stuff that's, it was never like, oh, that's about to go, that's about to go. Because, I sort of went through that after Cabin Fever, where I was attached to projects that, okay, if you can get Ben Affleck or Ewan McGregor, then then they can get greenlit. And I thought, I need to be in a position where I can just write and control my own material and raise the money and shoot it myself. And that's what I wound up doing with Green Inferno. I just wrote a movie, got the money, and went out and shot it. <laughs> Which is not a bad business model. I yeah, no, well, that's the thing is when you can keep your costs low. And yeah. that's one of the things about shooting in Chile is you can shoot a movie, you know, very cost effectively. Yeah. You know, that's an Aftershocks, an earthquake movie we made for, you know, $2 million. And you pay for it by pre-selling territories and then you can sell it. So basically by the time the movie goes into theaters, everybody's made their money back. Oh my God. And, and uh, Man with the Iron Fists introduced you to uh, uh, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe's the best, man. Are you... Uh, we we had a great time. We're going to be doing Dracula together. Yeah, it's really fun. And that's not that that wasn't something that was planned or that I expected. Hemlock Grove's coming out April nineteenth, mm -hmm. my new Netflix series, and the writers Brian McGreevy and Lee Shipman had a Dracula script that they wrote. And I was like, oh, let me just take a look at this because I love their writing. And I was like, oh my god, this is this is great. Mm -hmm. This is really really good. Set in London, turn of the century. Dracula comes. 
And I didn't think I was going to make a Dracula movie, but I really, really liked it. And then Russell wanted to play Dracula. And I had such a fun time writing for him in Man with the Iron Fist. His character was so insane, and we really, really got on well. And, um, you know, he was so into the idea of me directing it, it just it just wound up, you know, being a natural fit. So it's still called Harker at the moment? Uh, they're kind of f- figuring out the title now. It okay. might be Harker, it might be Dracula. That's a discussion to be had. What is Russell Crowe's Dracula going to be? Do you have any indication? I have some indication. I have some indication. I don't want to reveal it, but I'm actually seeing him, seeing him next week to talk about just that. I'm guessing you guys have a similar sense of humor because I see you guys talking on Twitter. He is a he is a very wicked sense of humor. I mean, I I couldn't believe it when we were writing Man with the Iron Fist. He was like, he's like, it's got to be like scream. It's got to be. I can't do his accent. It's like it's got to be dark. It's got to be like crazy. And I was like, okay, sure, Russell. And so I was like, what if we have a scene where you're with three Chinese hookers and then you have like you pop out of the bathtub and there's anal beads in your mouth? He's like, yeah, it's great, man. It's great. Let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. I was like, this guy's right on my level, man. If I can take an Academy Award winner and put anal beads in his mouth and he's totally into it, then this. This is this is the star I was born to work with, and and he was great. He's like, yeah, what about one of those like you know Inquisition pairs, like a vaginal pair? And I'm like texting my production designer, going, build vaginal pair for Russell Crowe, <laughs> which is a sentence you don't really think you're ever going to say when you enter the movie business. But Russell was game for anything, and he went for it. But it, he it's it's all comes from a smart place. Like his yeah. whole theory about the character, like you couldn't have crazy for crazy's sake. It all had to have very specific logic to it, and all had to be grounded in, in a very strange, weird way. And I think that's what makes him such a wonderful actor. He's going to challenge you on everything, mm-hmm. but I was ready for it. Um, we've we've also got on this uh, this podcast your uh, brother from another mother, Tim Roth. Have you met Tim Roth? I've never met Tim Roth. You've never met Tim Roth? No, never ever. Never That's once. Amazing. I know it's weird. I've never met Tim Roth. I've never met uh, David Lee Roth. I've never met Philip Roth. <laughs> it's weird. So there's no shadowy cabal. There's Roth. no like <laughs> Roth club that we all get invited to. That we all sit around and and plot our takeover of the universe. It just sort of happens naturally. Oh man, that's disappointing. Yeah, we oh. missed each other by days. We could have arranged a meeting. Wow, it's terrible. The meeting of the Roths. That would have been so exciting. <laughs> There'd be so much I to talk about. To tell you. <laughs> that wouldn't have been awkward at all. It hey. wouldn't have been. Wouldn't have been. Uh, Eli, we've got to let you go to Glasgow. So I'm going to go to Glasgow now. Go to Glasgow now. I will, and I'll take your cold with me. So thank <laughs> Thanks, you for man. that, Chris Hewitt. And I'll probably never work again if I die of emphysema. Yeah, well, sorry about that. But you can't sue me from beyond the grave, can you? No, Good. I can see your performance in Hostel too. <laughs> <laughs> That's a huge selling point. Lots of people discover that on Twitter. I know, know it's great. At least three people have discovered that on Twitter. Because I know it's three more people than saw the movie in the theaters. So <laughs> it's great. Grant, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thank you. Lovely Eli Roth there. Isn't he nice? Lovely, lovely Eli Roth. Uh, hasn't called me back for another cameo. That that is weird. Yeah. That. He's. It's interesting actually. This week, our guests include two fit directors. Two fit directors, yes. 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 The great unwritten feature of Empire History. Yes. Uh, Every time we bring it up to James Dyer, he just looks at us and goes, you're idiots. Am I a director? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Let's say you are a director, Ali. Okay. So it's three. Yeah. Three three fit directors. Okay. Okay. Uh, Time for some movie news now. Helen, what have you got? Well, I have a sort of a a fairy tale roundup, if you will. Uh, Just wave your magic wand and listen to this. Uh, Not a euphemism. No, not a euphemism. Please don't do that in public um, it's, it's, a, it's a Disney roundup basically uh, they are, have put Beauty and the Beast a new live action version into pre-production they've got Joe Ahern who's a British writer best known for sort of Doctor Who and Ultraviolet the TV show that was good not the film that wasn't the one with Jack Davenport and Idris indeed Elba. yes the sort of take on vampires which was very interesting um, he's set up to write that and they've got to be hoping that they can do at least as well as the animated film which was, of course, the only animated film ever nominated for Best P- 
picture at the Oscars before they opened it up to, you know, nine or more uh, entrants. So very, very good film indeed. Um, in other news, they're also working on Cinderella with Kenneth Branagh. Uh, directing, uh, but Emma Watson will not be starring. She was reported to be in talks a couple of weeks ago. She's now definitely out of the picture. And the third of this fairy tale trio is the news that they are already working on an Oz the Great and Powerful sequel. Now, we put our readers uh, a little vote to try and decide what the name of that sequel should be. Hmm. And uh, overwhelmingly, they favoured Oz Too Great, Too Powerful. Oh, so nice. we can look forward to that in a couple of years' time. You could also go with Oz the Greater and More Powerfuler. That would be grammaticaler. That would be grammatic. That would be a grammaticalest. Indeed. Um, so, what is going to happen? Sorry to, to oh, completely swerve off, but what's going to happen in Oz 2? I don't really know the. I haven't read the, the Baum. Well, books. a lot of this is, is sort of spun off the books, actually, rather than being directly. You know, the, the story in Oz the Great and Powerful was not taken, I, I believe, directly from the books. I'll, I'll confess, I haven't read all of them. Mm. Um, but it was it was just sort of using the elements of the world, because the books are all actually out of copyright now. They're, they're so old, so you can kind of do whatever you want with them. Um, so I would imagine that they'll use the the film as a starting point maybe take elements of the other books um to to kind of mix in we might see characters like Ozma we might even get as far as Dorothy who knows but yeah. i think i think it's more likely to be the other characters from Oz and just some flights of fantasy on I, the part of Sam Raimi and I have Cole. to say i was surprised at the 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 scanty use of munchkins i thought there'd be a lot more munchkin <laughs> mayhem I, th- I think it's kind of interesting that we know from the, from the 1939 films the Munchkins are very much the sort of most uh, talked about of the kind of the peoples of Oz. But in the books, there's you know several different races. They're talked about a little bit in Wicked if you've seen that on stage, um, the Quadlings and so on. So it, it, we might see a few of those kind of races come in as well, which might be kind of interesting. As long as they don't bring in the Wheelers from Return to Oz, because then the nightmares will return. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm still in therapy over seeing that when I was about eight. So let's not even go there. Shortland and the wheelies. Oh, terrifying! I thought I'd just say that, just throw that out there. Also terrifying. I, I, also I terrifying. loved that moment. I mean, we, I wasn't here to discuss all great and powerful last week, but uh, uh, big Sam Raimi fan, and I really enjoyed the film. And I loved all the Raimi flourishes, and I really, really liked that sequence where the Munchkins start to sing, and then James Franco tells him to turn, yeah. tells him to shut up. <laughs> I have to say, I was, I was with him on that score. I'm glad <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. that that got stopped. It was, it was <laughs> a nice uh, quote. We, we interviewed uh, Danny Elfman. Uh, about the, the the score for the film, and he talked a little about a little bit about that and how pleased he was with that. So, uh, yeah, that's worth checking out on the website at the moment. But yeah, it seems like Disney is very much keeping its kind of fairy tale business alive, even as it kind of diversifies into superheroes and sci-fi with Star Wars and all the rest. You know, they're still really focusing on getting all these big fairy tales out there because they seem to be making money hand over fist, quite frankly. Absolutely, uh, Ali. I've got a grab bag as well of different news stories. Another one uh, of the you know Hermione won't be in. I know she's got a real name, but screw it, in uh, Cinderella. Uh, we've got Alan Cumming. How long is played... it going to last? How long is Emma Watson going <laughs> to be called she Hermione? She will always for be Hermione. In the same way that Daniel Watts' chops will always be um, Ron. Uh, it's always going to be Rupert. them. Daniel Watts' chops. Daniel, Daniel Watts' chops will always be Ron. That's right. <laughs> Except you he was Harry. <laughs> yeah, I know. Astounding okay. knowledge of the, I love the Harry that. Pooper, I made a joke uh, and everyone else has gone, yes, but you've made a mistake. <laughs> this is yeah. what happens on Twitter all the time. I've just oh, realised that Hogwarts been is Warthog the other way around. Sorry, I've just realised that. <laughs> Do you only just realise that? You've only just realised that Hogwarts is the word wart and hog moved 
around. <laughs> I'm with Nick. This is blowing my mind. It. This is blowing my mind. But I'm the guy who took three years to realize that Shanghai Noon was a play on High Noon. So, you know. What? I had to explain to somebody <laughs> no. that Arthur Christmas is called Arthur Christmas because it sounds like Father Christmas. It doesn't sound that like Father does, Christmas. That one doesn't work. That's yes, tenuous. it does. That is tenuous. That's like one of my puns. Yeah. Toy doesn't Story work. is Toy Store E. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, Nick's mind is melting. You've just broken audio. Uh, <laughs> that's why it's called Toy Story. Toy Store E. So it's like a toy well, store. It's Toy Store E. We did well to get to a year. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. All over now. Thank this you for bearing with podcast. us. Anyway, right. what I'm trying okay. to say is... So Alan Daniel, Cumming, Daniel Grint is Rupert Watts' face in Harry That's my new story. Okay. Yeah. Alan Cumming played Nightcrawler in X-Men 2, and he was good. He was Pro- great. The problem was that he hated the makeup, and I think for that reason, and a couple of others, he was not in The Last Stand. I don't think he was asked back for The Last Stand. Awkward. I think part of it I heard was that the, the price of his effects as well. Um, making Nightcrawler go bamf is, is actually quite expensive. But, but worth it's it. so good. It? Worth it. it is worth it. I X-Men 2 is my favourite superhero film of all time. It's great. And Nightcrawler, that opening intro, is probably my favourite scene in the so film. Good. And the music is so good. And he's awesome as the yeah. character. Anyway, so... There was a lot of back and forth about whether he's going to be in the new Days of Future Past Brian Singer movie. And unfortunately, despite Professor X himself, the younger version anyway, James McAvoy, saying on a Heat Radio interview, uh, one of our, I was about to say bedfellows, but let's just say Bauer brethren, uh, he said casually that Alan Cumming was coming back for uh, Days of Future Past. Somebody spoke to Alan Cumming uh, on radio, another different radio station, and said, so is this happening? No, sir. It just ain't going to happen. So we don't know whether he's coming or going. Correct. Well, we do now. We do know that he's definitely not going to be in this one, but there's a lot of hoo-ha about whether he would be. I was ecstatic at the idea of him yeah. coming back, but it's just not. I love... Um, I wonder if Jason Fleming's going to come back as well as Azazel in That's this one. That's been confirmed. I've, I've which heard is, not. Obviously, I've heard not as well. I don't think he is coming back for that, which is a bit of a shame, because I think in X-Men First Class, they really nailed uh, what mm. you can do with teleportation when he murders a whole bunch of people by teleporting high up into the air and then dropping them, which yeah. I thought was fantastic. And uh, if, yeah. if Azazel... Yay for <laughs> dropping no, people. Yay for murdering. Um, I, I, and if Azazel and Nightcrawler had somehow met, that would have been quite Just nice, been because brilliant. obviously in the comics they are father and son uh, but um, you know it's a bit of a shame but you never know the the cast of X-Men Days of Future Past will continue to grow long after the film has been released so <laughs> I think there's there's always hope and frankly I'm a big fan of coming to movies and I wish there was more coming to movies and um, uh, what another new story let's move that to one side probably best Sherlock Holmes is on the telly box Benedict Cumberbatch plays him uh, his assistant come best mate Dr. Watson is played by Mon Freeman the show's called Sherlock. If you're listening to this podcast, I bet you've seen it. Anyway, the third season is about to be um, shot. But in an interview at the South Bank Awards, Benedict Cumberbatch confessed that the fourth season was already confirmed. That was going to happen. So that's the big news story. Cumberbitches, as they're known, not by me, as they call themselves, Cumberbitches are absolutely delighted. And he even hinted at a fifth season. Now, I use the word season because I don't want to use this word series all the time, and I know it's an Americanism, but also it's three shows I mean three that, that shows like a really it's barely a series, series. so I don't want to use either really. word they're just like yeah. a conglomeration I'm gathering. sure what this is is probably Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss have probably been kicking around ideas um, it's intriguing because they've got the big stories out of the way already they've, they've done Hound of the Baskervilles mm. they've done Right um, Back Fall yeah so I'm very curious to see I'm a huge Sherlock Holmes fan I'm curious to see what which stories they kind of riff off it, of or if in yeah. fact they just come up with some completely new Things. I think it could be really interesting actually if they riff on some of the much smaller stories just because people won't know 
as mm. much what they're in for. I mean, even so, they've, they've obviously, you know, tweaked things and messed things around and, and completely changed things. Um, just kind of started off with similar elements. Yeah. Um, but I think it could be really, really interesting to see what they do just off the back of something that people don't know as well. I reckon do. I'll start doing more totally original stuff because some of my favourite stories just don't lend themselves to a kind of more action-packed visual thing like the Redhead League or... Um, I don't know, there's a good one, I forget its name, about um, coin forging, which just isn't going to work on TV. Um, no. But anyway, it's exciting. And the other bigger news story than, than both of those is that Veronica Mars, which was a TV show between 2004 and 2007, uh, was a cult favourite, and a lot of people absolutely adore it. But it got cancelled because Warner Bros., despite picking it up for the third season, just didn't feel like it, it worked and it wasn't getting good enough ratings. So that was that, you thought, except that Rob Thomas, the show's creator, and Kristen Bell are doing something new with it they want to turn it into a movie they went to Warner Bros and Warner Bros said we just don't want to invest in this we didn't like the TV show so why would we make the film they decided well how about if we bring the money and we make it ourselves it would be a 10 year school reunion type job the whole gang will be back together I mean I haven't watched the show but I gather it's uh, we need James we do <laughs> need James here but it is he's the expert let, let, it's been described as has anybody here seen it it's kind of a high school um, detective series That's basically right, yeah. Yeah. I've seen it I've, I've got to confess it's not a show that hooked me I, I, thought, it was, I thought it was fine people do love it um, yeah it does have a, a cult following yeah. you know much like Freaks and Geeks another one yeah, which, exactly. was, um, which was cut down and in its prime and like Firefly which uh, obviously Joss Whedon both cameoed and directed an episode I believe of Veronica Mars so you know, it's got that kind of geek cred also. Well, much in the same way that Firefly got Serenity, this is coming back from the dead years after it was cancelled, but mm. not through conventional studio means, through a Kickstarter, give us your money, please, campaign. You could get a voice message from Kristen Bell or tickets to the premiere or a free hat with Veronica Mars's face on it. That kind of stuff is being offered to fans who have paid or donated towards their Kickstarter campaign. And within 24 hours, they've mm. already got $2 million and they've got another 28 days to fill it up with as much money to make do it we know, a bigger and better do they, do, they ha- do they have a budget that they're trying to reach or are they, they just are they going to see how much money they make and then just go right we can afford four car chases well, I I think, think, presumably I think, there's no car chases in the front of Kamal's movie we've now today exceeded the wildest pipe dream I let myself entertain this is Kristen Bell holy cow we better make a good movie these amazing fans have stepped up we better deliver Thomas is now promising that with a bigger budget the movie will now be able to be even more impressive so cool. there you go so, yeah. uh, it is very interesting uh, Kickstarter is a fascinating way of uh, funding films video games everything up and keep an eye on some stuff We, I, you know, I know a couple of people who funded projects through Kickstarter small things £10,000 here £25,000 there and that sort of stuff short films and whatnot. Uh, but to fund something to this scale there's a wider debate about whether uh, this is just a, a, a sort of totem pole figure, if you will, for, for Warner Brothers, just to show there is enough interest in it, and then Warner Brothers will provide the rest of the money and whatnot. Mm. Uh, and there's a, another wider debate about whether established filmmakers should be resorting to Kickstarter. Uh, David Fincher did this a few months ago. He wanted to raise $400,000 so he could make a a, a mood reel or a, or a show reel for Lagoon, so he could adapt Lagoon, the comic book, into an into a animated film. Now, some people would obviously argue that David Fincher must have $400,000 knocking around in, a, in an ISA somewhere, so uh, why not break into that instead of asking other people to fund it? But I think it's partly also just demonstrating to the studio that the interest is there. I think yeah. it's po- possibly uh, trying to kill two birds with one stone in mm-hmm. cases like that. Where Although I saw a tweet last night from Devin Faraci who said that uh, if yeah. all the people who contributed to the Veronica Mars Kickstarter went and actually bought a ticket for the film, it would make $300,000. But then you could say similar things for all sorts of things. Like, could, for example, yeah. you could say, you know, the number of people who've read the L. Frank Bowen books probably mm-hmm. doesn't equate to the number yeah. of people who went to the Oz the Great and Powerful last weekend. So The problem is that Veronica Mars is an ongoing story, so you'd be jumping into a character 
that has already not if they write it well it kind of sort of worked for um, Serenity yeah for a play of them all you know it's a fantastic endeavour and you know to get that amount of money and let 24 hours is just well, what, what other things do you think could be kickstarted like this I, I was just having a think people are talking I'd Dread love 2 to see things that uh, yeah Dread 2 would Dread be 2, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I was thinking the X-Files another X-Files movie obviously that that would be a much bigger budget I presume unless although the last one was basically Billy Connolly mucking about in the snow <laughs> let's well, not talk about what, the last would you, what would you do for that what, well I mean they've been talking they, uh, they, they, they had plans I mean the whole the whole tragedy of the X-Files is not to go on about this too much but the, all the way through the series it was building up to 2012 the alien invasion of Earth in 2012 and the plan was always to have an X-Files movie set uh, that, that came out in 2012 about this thing so they've missed the boat but, I mean, David Duchovny was interviewed a couple of weeks ago, I think, in, uh, by some radio station, and he, he was basically saying they're trying to get the money together to do another one. Yeah. So They could still do it. I mean, obviously, the world didn't end in 2012, so they could just move the date back a little bit. They could go, yeah, you know that yeah. episode? Yeah. We, yeah. We, we, yeah. It'd be like T2. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. precisely. Uh, so Mitch we'll, Pileggi is waiting for your call. Yeah. If you donate $50 to the X-Files 3 project, Mitch Pileggi will live in your house for a week. <laughs> sometimes he'll tell you about it, sometimes he won't. Cigarette smoking man will come and smoke next to you. Yeah, but electronic cigarettes. Yep. E-cigarettes these yep. days. But just one thing I want to mention, as in I want to turn it to a movie, is Deadwood. Desperately want Deadwood to be turned into a film or be rebooted in some way. Perhaps um, that could be Kickstarter. Perhaps you could have some coming in it. I've got some non-coming related news, uh, hopefully. Um, it's Beverly Hills Cop, the TV show on CBS, yes. which has just been announced. Um, a bit of a surprise, because uh, a lot of us didn't think that Beverly Hills Cop was going to come back again. There was talk of a, a movie, a Beverly Hills Cop 4, with Brett Ratner directing, and f- uh, f- I think, fortunately, that didn't come to pass. But now there's a TV <laughs> show, which, surprisingly, could be good, because it's being written and showrun by a guy called Sean Ryan, who is responsible for the unit, which is a genuinely good mm. and, and quite gritty mm-hmm. But funny in places TV show, just sadly, like the original. Sadly cancelled. Yeah. yeah, again. And uh, the the pilot is um, being directed by Barry Sonnenfeld. And um, I oh. spoke to George Reinhold on the phone the other day. That's on the website now, that interview. And he talked about um, how they're trying to make this the greatest pilot ever made. Starring George Reinhold. Is Eddie Murphy in the pilot? Yes. Eddie Murphy's in the pilot. Eddie Murphy is, is back. George Reinhold is back. Um, so what, is he starring? No, it's about... Aaron Foley, who is Axel Foley's um, son, played by Brandon T. Jackson. That's correct. From oh, Tropic yeah, Thunder. And, um, he's good, isn't he? Yeah. So it, they're saying it's a continuation of the story. Um, so it's all about his son and uh, coming to Beverly Hills Cop. And, but it's, they said they're trying to get back to the, the sort of the tone of the original. So quite dark and violent, but with comedy mixed into that. A couple of bananas. <laughs> I, Judge Reinhold confirmed that there are no bananas in the pilot. Oh, of course, I asked him that. Um, and we don't know whether Harold Faltermeyer is coming back so we spoke to him recently for the website but we, we didn't ask him because we didn't know hopefully should, yeah but hey ho I look forward to that one and hopefully it'll go to series okay thanks for that Nicholas uh, time for a second guest now or guests frankly uh, Welcome to the Punch is a refreshingly commercial British cops and robbers thriller that opens this week it's a brainchild of Iran Creevy whose first film was a charming micro budget shifting I mean micro budget £100,000 that thing cost uh, this is a bigger bolder Rasher beast, and he popped in to talk to myself and Helen all about it. But he brought with him one of his stars, the one, the only, Mr. Mark Strong. Uh, we're delighted to be joining the pod booth uh, for well, actually, the first person to return to the pod booth, uh, actually, Mr. Mark Strong. Really? Most people leave. Oh no! And, and never come back. They're, you can't see him for dust afterwards. Oh wow! But well, thank you for okay, well, I feel very honoured. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Ryan Creevy, the writer director of Welcome to the Punch. Hello. Welcome. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Excellent. You know, glad to have you. Uh, and. Uh, 
Weirdly enough, Mark, you don't remember this, but you guys met at the Empire Awards a couple of years ago. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Iran reminded me that um, I was there, I think, with Kickass and Matthew Vaughan, and you were there with some mates for Shifty. Yeah. And and we met people on each other's table. Mm-hmm. And we probably even said hello, but of course we hadn't worked together then, so... Yeah, I Fleming. Fleming just knows everyone. Jason Fleming knows everyone in the industry, doesn't he? Because <laughs> Jason's on a mission to be in every film, <laughs> every film yeah. that's ever made. <laughs> yeah. He's doing all right, actually. He's, he, he's getting there. He's got seventy-three percent so far. Uh, I think six degrees with Jason Fleming would be the uh, the next way to yeah. go. So when you looked at Mark, uh, were you working on Welcome to Punch at the point? At that point, did you think I had on, Welcome me. to the Punch in my head? I think at yeah. the time because I think Welcome to the Punch had been floating around. That I, it's a weird one because the Welcome to the Punch, the incarnation of how it came in the seed of an idea was that originally it was a much smaller film and then I created this screenplay as immediately after I made Shifty and it was a little bit too much like um, Harry Brown mm-hmm. so it's a little bit more kind of like a Harry Brown it was set on um, an estate it was about a man who was taking vengeance for something that happened to his wife and and then Harry Brown came out and I was like this is too similar and yeah. then I decided to say no okay I'm going to change it into something else the weird this is kind of a weird fact but I love working from titles I always start with a title first and then work my way backwards and create the film from the title so when I was on a recce for Shifty I'd seen a pub called the Suffolk Punch right? and I saw this pub and I was like that's a really cool name Suffolk Punch and I was like it sounds like a um, James Elroy novel or do you know what I mean yeah, yeah. Kind of like, that sounds like a really cool kind of crime novel and and then I and then I think what was the tagline for Jarhead do you remember the Sam Mendes Welcome film. to the Suck, wasn't it? Welcome That's to the right, Suck. Yeah. So I was I saw Suffolk, Suffolk Punch. There was a thing I saw Welcome to the Suck and I put them together and said Welcome to the Punch and that's where it came from. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd gone the other way you could have course had Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch. Oh yeah, yeah, no, that yeah, doesn't yeah. work as a film. Or Suffolk Suck. <laughs> I think I've seen that film actually. <laughs> very, very different indeed. Uh, so uh, at what point then did it coalesce into this this cop thriller? Uh, was it always meant to be that? Um, it, it, no, it was kind of I, I guess I sort you know, I went down a, a slight avenue and I wrote 60 dro- pages of a draft mm-hmm. that was going to be something that was a bit more Harry Brown. And then yeah. I, I thought, you know what, we need, like, like, not, let's not make another socio realistic drama. Let's do something which has a little bit more scope and aspire to the films that I loved um, as a kid growing up. And we've talked about this before, but I love the sort of heroic bloodshed era of John yeah. Woo of the 80s and the 90s and Ringo Lamb and City of Fire. And decided to try and and Infernal Affairs and Heat and the French Connection and Bullet and I was like, well, let's try and do a cops and robbers movie set within this country, set within this amazing city that we have, London, and and then just decided to try and write this screenplay. And I gave it to the producers, Ben Pugh and Rory Aitken, mm. and originally it was like a 180 page draft and it was ridiculous. <laughs> the first draft had like a huge shootout on Tower Bridge and there was a sequence where the bridge was opening and they were trying to leap cars across and there was a machine gun battle on the Tower Bridge and but you could sort of see the scope <laughs> that I was going for when I gave them the script and I'm like okay this sounds crazy but <laughs> so that was not how it started I remember us wondering though why the Americans are able to make these incredible films that we relate to even mm. though it's not our world they have these sleek gangster movies or they have these sleek cops and robbers movies like Heat like Casino and you mm-hmm. take them at face value, but essentially they're about policemen and you know villains, cops and robbers. Mm. But we don't seem able to do that. Our cops and robbers never quite seem to be as slick and cool as theirs. Yeah. So I think when I first met Rani, and he was saying that what he wanted to try and do was take from, you know, the American idiom and maybe even kind of put a bit of Hong Kong in there and just make a sort of really sleek, designed 
dynamic film that made London look incredible and made the cops and robbers idiom within that environment of London seem almost, you know, sci-fi. I mean, just, just incredible in the way the Americans do it. And yeah. I think that's what he's done with this movie, which is amazing. And I haven't really seen anything like that. The film is, what, 97 minutes long? I think so. I think something it might like be that. 90 minutes long. 90 minutes long. And then 97 minutes long with tight, like the seven minutes mm-hmm. is the actual title. And that's always your preference, yeah. isn't it? You're, like, you're a director who likes movies that don't outstate are welcome. I think, yeah, I think yeah. so. Like, Shifty was kind of 86 minutes long mm-hmm. and this is 90 minutes long. Mm-hmm. It's sort of relatively speedy films. But... Not that I don't ever believe that I will make something that could run at two mm. hours long. I just feel that these these stories that we were telling was better serviced at kind of being quick and to the point. It's a cops and robbers movie. You don't yeah. want to sit you around keep and the pace up. Yeah, keep the pace up. Yeah. And mm. So, yeah. And, uh, Aran, I know research is a, a big thing for you. Your uh, next film, or one of your next films, Cry Havoc, yeah. uh, involves a journalist. I know you were tweeting lots of things, you know, lots of research material that you were looking at. Yeah. How much research did you do for, for Punch? Um, with with Punch, you know, the, a lot of the research came from, this may be sound a bad thing to say, but was from watching lots and lots of Cops and Robbers movies, which is a great <laughs> bit of research, just sitting just in your room for five days and just watching Fernal Affairs to Mezzarin, do you know what I mean, to yeah. the French Connection. Um, but I think the key to it is about, we were trying to create a Gotham-esque universe in Welcome to the Punch, So, and I wanted to get rid of any, the parochial feel of British police cops and robbers dramas that we have on telly so we got rid of all panda cars we got rid of any red buses we got rid of any <laughs> sort of thing that said london and, and it was borderline sci-fi the movie we kind of production designed this different universe but i think that tonally you have to get things right and so i had to there's a sort of the political conspiracy in the film so we had a political consultant that came on and would, and would look at the conspiracy and we i would talk about how it played out and how I saw it, that, that, you know, actually, you know, with the Shadow Home Secretary and how things have played out. And they said, that's great. That That is believable. That could have possibly happened. Do you know what I mean? And, and same with the police force. I created my own... Um, I created my own division and I created my own hierarchy within the division because I didn't want it to be based on an actual existing police force. But I, I, I wanted people to operate the same way actually a policeman would. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I think the moment within that universe, even though we created our own universe, the moment so- somebody does something odd, it pulls you out of the film. It's like yeah. if you watch Star Wars, it's Chewbacca is a, 20, a 12-foot carpet walking around. And but you buy it because George Lucas creates a universe that you buy, and it's this kind of battered up universe of like spaceships. But the moment Chewbacca did, would do something odd that was out, like you know, Chewbacca started just like slapping someone about, <laughs> you go, that's weird, and that character's doing that. So it's just about you kind of have to do the research, know your universe inside out, but then you go, but then you run with it and create your own world and just yeah. make sure that those characters stick within those. So yeah, as much research as I could to a degree, but then I didn't want, you know, like. When I read about you know, Michael Mann and like, they, they went and they practiced being cops for six months or whatever, I was like, I was kind of more interested in the themes of what was happening between these characters, these two characters, and the loss and the decisions they'd made in life. And I was much more getting involved in that than actually the research and how you'd cra- hold a gun correctly as you walked yeah. into a room. Mm-hmm. I was kind of much more interested in the sort of thematics of the movie than the things being absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. But with, with Cry Havoc, it's a slight move back to the universe of Shifty. Because I don't think that Welcome to the Punch and Shifty exist within the same university, but like okay. Kill Bill and Sh- yeah. Reservoir Dogs, they're not in the same, slightly more heightened universe for Welcome to the Punch, whereas Cry Havoc is about an undercover journalist who works for the New York Times or a, a sort of newspaper I'm going to create in the script. And it also charts the story of a Sri Lankan immigrant who's come to New York to buy his wife a new liver on the black market organ trade. And it's a much real universe, so I have to go into that world and, and mm-hmm. discover that world. So I've been doing six months of research, I've been meeting journalists, I've been kind of 
you know, re- reading books about the organ trade and kind of and, and looking at that. And I come from Sri Lanka. My family's from Sri Lanka. My mother had a liver transplant recently, so I'm now, I have lots of experience with liver failure and my, the medication that my mother had to take. Mm-hmm. So I kind of so I've kind of been, so and it's it's kind of you know it it's part and parcel with the project. Is that what inspired the uh, the film in a way? Well, it's kind of experiences. It's sort of it's based on a. It's, I love Korean revenge tragedies such as I saw the Devil Chaser, um, the Yellow Sea, the Park Chan Wook revenge trilogy. Yeah, and it's based on my love of Korean revenge trilogy. They don't just tell straight revenge stories. They look at the futility of revenge and the concept of reciprocal justice. So it's kind of based on that, and then and within that, I just started to create a story, and you just draw on your own experiences. And I kind of have family from Sri Lanka. My mother had sort of liver failure down to due to diabetes. Do you know what I mean? So and all these things, and and you just you feed those into whatever story you're telling at the time. And hope so. Hopefully, you can tell a, a genuine story, or something that's emotional and heartfelt. And you know, and I kind of went through that experience, and it's easier for me to write a character going through that experience and a bit yeah. of pain of possibly losing his wife would be related to pain of possibly I could almost I almost lost my mother. So mm. yeah, so you just draw on life experiences and then try to wrap up as much research around that as you can. Wow. Is that next for you, or <laughs> is uh, Autobahn's on the possibly Autobahn, the which is um, a sort of it's a bit like Speed meets Five Hundred Days of Summer, set in Munich in Germany, which possibly may go. But and at the moment, I'm moment I'm writing Cry Havoc, so we'll, we'll see what happens first. You know, uh, and a potential uh, sequel to Punch on the. I'd love to agenda. do a sequel to Punch. I've got a really good story outline. Um, oh, have you? Yes, I've got oh, a really right. good story outline. It's called the Hong Kong Sector, mm-hmm. and obviously it takes place in Hong Kong. I don't want to say too much to give away the end of Welcome to the Punch, but basically, kind of, it takes place in Hong Kong, and they kind of, yeah. Well, it's because if I give away too much, I don't know, know how the yeah, film yeah. ends. Okay. <laughs> Mark, do you fancy that? Do you fancy going to Hong Kong? Sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. So, and what's next for you? Uh, I am about. I've just started filming uh, a thing called Before I Go to Sleep, which is mm-hmm. a, a film of a novel by S. J. Watson, first time novel, mm-hmm. uh, bestseller. And it's kind of a three-hander. Nicole Kidman plays a, a woman who um, wakes every morning and her memory's been erased. Uh, Colin Firth plays her husband and I play her doctor. Okay. It's the doctor I was talking about yes. earlier on. But it's um, fascinating and intriguing because you have to make... Uh, you were talking about worlds. This has to be thoroughly believable. It's real life. It's characters that we, you pass in the street. Um and it's a real uh, it's a real page turner because you basically discover what the central character discovers every morning when she wakes up, which is a little bit more about her history. Okay, so this is one of those cases where you didn't read the novel, you read the script first, and yeah, then. Funny enough, having said I won't read the novel, I did read the novel. <laughs> um, but but that just reinforces what I said earlier because the novel isn't particularly helpful because you have there are certain adjustments you have to make. Uh, one, for example, in the novel, uh, in order to uh, remind herself what's happened every day. She keeps a journal, a diary. It's a very integral part of the book, <coughs> but it doesn't work quite so well. I don't think in film. So in the film, she discovers a, a camera, and that acts as an external hard drive in terms of her memory. And every day she records stuff on it, and then comes to it again the next day. Okay, well, uh, so um, that's filming right now. You're not working today on that, are you? <laughs> We're not keeping no, you from the set, are we? <laughs> no, in fact, a couple, my next shooting day is in a couple of days. Okay, excellent. And uh, last night we did a Q&A, uh, Q&A with you two guys, and you said that on your very first project as an actor, the director didn't speak to you at all. He didn't go because it was, a, I presume, just a, a bit part or a small part. Yeah. Uh, what was that project? It was called, there were two titles. One was One Against the Wind, uh-huh. 
and the other terrible title and the other is um, <laughs> the story of Mary Liddell and that's essentially what it was it was Judy Davis playing mm. a resistance fighter in behind the lines in France yeah. getting downed British flyers back across to England oh through. like in a lower low yeah <laughs> very like a lower low <laughs> um, only more aspiration okay. I think. um and uh, Denham Elliott was in it, and I had a great time. And I think the only reason I was actually hired, it was the first movie I ever did, the only reason I was hired was because the officer, the Nazi officer they had playing this character who basically stopped a procession uh, with Denham Elliott playing the priest and a bunch of guys carrying a coffin. He stops the procession thinking, inside the coffin is one of these flyers that they're trying to get back, one of these pilots they're trying to get back. So he makes them put it down and open it. And of course, there is a dead body and he's embarrassed and all of that. It turns out the six guys carrying the coffin are actually the airmen. <laughs> that was my one scene, really. And um, I'm convinced the only reason I was hired is the guy who was due to play it originally was too big for the uniform. And they only had one of this kind of SS officer's uniform. So they basically you know, rang England and said, send somebody out who was, uh, who's the right size. So I went and did it, and uh, I think the director was, I think his name was something like Larry Ellican, and no disrespect okay. to him or anything, yeah. because uh, literally I was only in one scene. Yeah. But I never met him, or talked to him, <laughs> or anything. Just came in, did my scene, did and went back home. Did you talk to everyone on this film? Yeah, you always yeah, make the effort to. Yeah, I always make the effort to. I, I, I always say Have you two and, met, by the way? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, I'm Ron Creeper. How do you well, I'm, I try and chat to the extras as well, but and I'd get in trouble with the third assistant director because if you give um, an extra direct... Um, if you give them sort of direction, yeah. they get more money for their day. Because, like, <laughs> so if they come in and just they're walking around in the background, but if you come up and give someone, I will need you, mate, hi, how you doing? My name's Ryan. Yeah, walk over here and do this and pick this up. And then obviously it costs money because they get an extra, like, 100 quid or something. Sure, so sure. I was like, I kept getting told, not told off, but they were like, Ryan, you need to stop talking to the extras. So I'll chat to everyone. <laughs> do you get yeah. extras going, I think my character should say something here. I think yeah, he, yeah, yeah. I think he has a lot. Well, they, they twigged onto it as well, and they'd be like, he's a really nice bloke, just go over and, like, you know, like stand close to him and he'll tell you to do something. <laughs> so I've been doing some rewrites. <laughs> yeah, <it's a> <laughs> <laughs> Their own pages, like, they I'm can't... Jacob's best friend now. That's okay, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's and, fine. It's fine. Yeah, do it. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> how's, how's experience now on uh, on uh, with Rowan Joffe? Isn't it? He's directing yeah. this one. So how's how's that working out? It's great. He's yeah. written it as well. He's a really, really very good writer. And uh, I think as Iran, you know, had on Welcome to the Punch, having a writer direct their own film is always a, a godsend because they're they're you know uh, streets ahead. They already know exactly what it is, what they want, and being on set really is just working out the way to achieve it. Mm. So I'm enjoying it. I'm really enjoying it. And working with Nicole and Colin is is a, a real treat. Colin, I've worked with a couple of times before, but mm-hmm. Nicole is a, a new quantity, and it's, uh, you know, it's great to be on set and see how she works. I mean, that, I, I love that about the industry as much as actually doing it is seeing how people operate when they're not on camera. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, next up, you guys, I think hopefully we'll see both of you at the uh, Jemison Empire Awards in a couple of weeks' time. Yes, yes, uh, yes Around yes, if you if you need any tips on stealing goodie bags, Mark's your man. Yeah, I'll be happy to be on the same table. <laughs> that's how we first met. I mean, that's how we first met, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, Nick and uh, Nick the camera was filming everybody at the thing, and I literally was under the table grabbing <laughs> two goodie bags, going, "Whoops, you caught me." Before we, go, I wanted to go. I want Mark to say something because I've got these headphones on. I'm going to put my headphones on properly. Hmm. Were you saying a nice deep voice, slow deep voice? At last, we shall reveal ourselves to the Jedi. <laughs> we just said it for me deep into the microphone. At last, we shall reveal ourselves to the Jedi. <laughs> wow, Peter Serafinovich has some serious. I just wanted to, yeah, Absolutely. I wanted to hear. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced Mark could be a good Sith Lord in in, in the Star Wars universe. Well, you know, somebody call JJ quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, somebody get JJ on the phone. Yeah, send that to him quick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Grant, guys, thanks for coming in. Thank you very well, much. Pleasure, Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. 
lovely chaps both welcome anytime and, and Helen your Senator Ryan Creevy is on the fit directors list is that what you're saying I think so yes ok if you want to check that out there's a picture <laughs> for Ryan Creevy and Mark Strong they came in and obviously we have a photo studio up in the fourth floor that'll be on the website right now so you can you can see if Helen's right I'm right also on Helen's desktop <laughs> also yeah and in a tattoo on Helen's back which is really weird uh, ok on to the week's movies now uh, let's start with dun 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 dun, dun. Welcome to The Punch, in which James McAvoy's dogged cop and Mark Strong's cool-as-a-cucumber-packed-in-ice thief are set on a collision course as they try to unravel separate ends of a major conspiracy. This movie also, as you point out, has Jason Fleming in it and automatically gets my <laughs> seal of approval. But, thoughts? Yes, uh, this is this is very cool. It's, it's not the kind of um, crime thriller that we usually see in the UK. Because generally speaking, if we have a crime thriller here, it's all about East London geezers in sort of run-down estates and rundown places and generally just being a bit sad and cockney. Yeah. Not that the two go together. <laughs> but it's not it's not always very recognisable that London is, you know, one of the major cities in the world. It's a big financial capital. It's a big, you know, huge, shiny, big, big tall building filled place. And it's this an awesome place to live. It's it an awesome a beautiful place, place to be. And, and this one actually shows that. And this, this shows the sort of high tech cool London which is something we don't very, get to see very often we get posh London and we get Cockney London we don't get the in-between this get, is the in-between yeah we get decrepit horrible London yes or Richard Curtis London yeah, yeah. so um, so this one basically has uh, a classic setup. so Mark Strong is the bank robber who we see in a little tiny bit at the beginning of the film uh, got away from a major robbery sort of a year before the main action starts and in the process shot James McAvoy who's got some um side effect as a result um, and then a year later his son he basically Mark Strong goes off and retires his son uh, gets shot in London he has to come back and try and help him and of course McAvoy's waiting for him but is there more going on? Yes Is there? Yeah. Yes there is Yeah Thank totally. God otherwise it'd be a short film <laughs> But it's actually you know it's quite a complicated plot you've got to kind of keep your your eyes open and your wits sharp um, yeah. but obviously the two Otto, <laughs> well, you know your movies you can spot the bad guy in this one. Oh, you can spot the guy. Yeah, <laughs> you can spot the bad guy. That's not an issue. A little bit. But what he's doing and why he's doing it, that takes a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, and obviously, James McAvoy and Mark Strong, both terrific, you know, charismatic, ridiculously handsome, etc. Um, really good Steady against Helen. each other as well. And then you've got a great supporting cast. You've got David Morrissey's in there. You've got uh, Andrea Riseborough. You've just got everybody really. Peter Mullen. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you know, great Peter Mullen. Great Peter Mullen bit. Um, wonderful and, voice of his. Yeah, and a couple of really, really great set pieces, and I thoroughly enjoyed this. Yeah, no, it's, it's great fun. Really, really fun. Really slick, and it's great to see uh, a British thriller be really openly commercial and, and go for it and try and emulate Michael Mann stylistically and try and emulate yeah. John Woo in terms of action sequences. It's not all 100% successful at times. No. Maybe the script's a little on the nose at times, but the, you know, the action is very well handled. The performances are, are fantastic. Mark Strong is, is unbelievably cool in this film. Uh, so and, cool uh, you know and without giving too much away I, I'd be interested to see further adventures of some of these characters uh, if people go and see this obviously there's a shadow hanging over Welcome to the Punch this was uh, shot 2011 uh, and was pushed back a little bit uh, because of the Sweeney which came out around about the same t- uh, was meant to be coming out around about the same time and Welcome to the Punch moved back to give some room between the two of them I think this is a much better film than Sweeney Yeah, uh, but do you think people might be put off this one because of the Sweeney or do you think the two can, can coexist? I, I think you shouldn't be put off by this one if you didn't like the Sweeney. It's a very, very different film and, um, again, a lot cooler 
yeah. frankly. Yeah, absolutely. I think Aran Creevy's a director with real vision and uh, I'm very, very interested to see what he does over the next couple of years. I've heard the plot is pretty tangly. I haven't watched it, but I, I, I hear it's pretty kind mm. of labyrinthine. It's tangly, but it's also quite straightforward. Okay. Essentially, you know, it's just Interesting. It's these two guys set in a collision course and at some point things will conspire to bring them in the room. But when, when in the same room together, and when that happens, there's really, really good chemistry between McAvoy and, and, and Strong. Okay. I think. Yeah, I, 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 it sounds like, it, I mean, from the looks of things, the trailer looks spectacular. I'm just looking forward to what he does next, mm. uh, Creevy, because, uh, like you say, he's got talent in spades, so it's that. Yeah. The microwave scheme that gave him the 100K that made Shifty, which is a great film, do definitely track it down. It's like three quid yeah. uh, on play, so just go and do it. Absolutely. Microwave scheme. Yes, yeah, it was a it's special a... setup where they gave individual filmmakers who, who showed promise and had a script. It's still going. So Here's you, money. Go and do it. See what you could do, and you'd come back. So he yeah. wasn't hawking microwaves at the back. No, of the it wasn't Hellboy no. type. <laughs> no. Down, no, it also funded uh, Ill Manners, for example, Plan mm. B's movie. Uh, okay, next up, that's four stars. For that us. was four stars. Four stars for Welcome to the Punch, and uh, we all agree with that. Next up, Lee is the incredible Burt Wonderstone, which stars Steve Carell and Jim Carrey as dueling magicians. So, Ali, what's this one like? Uh, this one is uh, was reviewed by Helen here in the room but I also watched it so I'm just going to take this one Steve Carell plays Burt Wonderstone who is the lead character obviously uh, and he is a big Las Vegas magician you know kind of that massive eye of white tigers look at my yeah, swing Siegfried and Roy kind yeah, of thing yeah girls and swings type job and he stars alongside uh, on the stage in this movie uh, Steve Buscemi's Anton Marvelton Marvelton so <laughs> great it's, names it's, it's pretty awesome uh, and their act they've been doing it for about 10 years on the Las Vegas circuit really. and they're just a bit tired they're kind of doing the same old shtick people love it but it's getting a bit tiring in comes a David Blaine style character played by Jim Carrey who's the kind of guy who's quite happy to cut his own face open in the front of the street <laughs> and then stitch up in front of people he is a performer he's a street magician but really intense he lies happily on a bed of hot red coals and that's entertainment apparently this causes Burt Wonderstone's career to kind of take a nosedive and he Anchorman style has to reevaluate who he is. He's very pompous, he has a massive bed, loads of money, or so he thinks, and it all goes a little bit Pete Tong. It's one of those high, low, high again, spoiler, discovering your real self type comedy jobs. And it has its moments. I laughed maybe five, six, seven times and just chuckled away. But I think Helen's point in the review, which I take on board, is that its tone was a bit varied. Mm. Sometimes it was very anchorman and broad. Sometimes it was really quite dark and just a little bit sinister. Uh, occasionally it was light and fluffy. It kind of really bounced around the shop. If you're willing to take that, that's fine. Uh, it's directed by Don Scardino who did uh, a lot of 30 Rock mm -hmm. and he also did West Wing. He's an established TV director and this is his first movie. There's a lot to enjoy here. I just think it's just a little rough around the edges. I think it's disappointing that Warner Bros. have, have put it into this slot. I think if they really pumped it up and gave people more awareness that this film was coming out people would be more excited about it but as it is I think it's kind of it's landed like a damn square I don't know Carell yeah. Carell Carrie together that's a yeah, I, yeah. I, I, and I'm going to see this film be talking about it I mean if you love Carrie this is com him coming back to comedy form like he's in it and he's being funny it's kind of a one joke thing he's the yeah. pompous look at me visual physical comedian uh, comedian magician but you know that suits him I, I, yeah, I, th I mean, my basic problem with it was I thought there were many great bits in it, or many good bits in it, but it just didn't feel like it all came from the same movie. It didn't feel like it all hung together, and it, and it sort of, I got the feeling I was swerving about the place. Really. So I'm imagining a kind of Blades of Glory 
similar dodgeball type thing right, but it's not that broad and there are moments which are much more sort of little miss sunshine in, in the tone and i think that that's the problem it didn't quite fit on either of those mm. sort of tracks if you will yeah. and 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 not to say you know you shouldn't try something new and you shouldn't try for something different but it just for, for me it fell between the two stools and didn't quite hang together as either a kind of broad anchorman-y Blades of glory type story or a sort of more kind mm. of indie comedy. I think it's one of the reasons why the movies like Dodgeball and Anchorman and uh, Old Blues Brothers yeah. or something like that going, going way back work is because they take place in an utterly absurd world and they don't give in to those sentimental cravings mm. where you know, I, maybe I don't know an actor thinks well maybe my character has to be quite realistic and be quite influenced by the events happening on screen right now no absolutely not when Patches O'Hulahan dies in Dodgeball people are <laughs> sad about it but it's also hilarious so yeah. I, I, you know, I think that's why those movies are successful so it's a bit, bit of a shame about this one also Don Scardino I should point out is um, the star not just a writer director but he's the star of uh, a film I semi-love a 1976 killer worm movie called Squirm if anyone's seen that You'll know what I'm talking about. If not, go and seek it out if you can. It's a real slow-moving, not very scary treat. Uh, okay, two stars. Two stars. I, I did flirt with three, but I went two. Ah, you Sorry. tease. Okay, so two stars for the not-so-incredible Burt Wonderstone. Now we come to The Paperboy, which may be the best film this year in which Nicole Kibben pisses on Zac Efron, or probably the only film this year in which Nicole Kibben pisses on Zac Efron, at least the only one they'll allow us to see. So, Nick... Can you untangle the madness? This film took a can by oh boy. storm. Yeah, this was another early morning treat. Uh, I did not expect to wake up and see Nicole Kidman urinating on Zac Efron I before breakfast. I expect every single day. <laughs> you, you see it every day, don't you? Um, you pay top dollar for it as well. <laughs> I do. So you watching a squirm before <laughs> something else was going to happen. <laughs> I haven't specially imported. So this is a uh, this is this film is crazy. I mean, everyone is talking about the jellyfish scene, but there, there's a lot more um, nuts nut stuff going on in this it's another one that kind of suffers a bit from tonal problems um, because the the subject matter is actually pretty serious it's about racial issues in the 60s it's um, it's got a rape scene in it so it's got some pretty harrowing stuff but it is so over the top and so campy that you're watching it and going I can't quite believe that these actors are doing this um, so the, the basic plot is that Nicole Kidman plays a kind of trashy redneck southern lady who falls in love with a convicted murderer on death row played by John Cusack and um, basically the, there's an investigation Matthew McConaughey and Zac Efron are kind of investigating the, the whole case they're journalists they're journalists they're cops yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so it's uh, yeah it's um, it's crazy it's got very bad southern accents from some people I won't pinpoint who it's got um, a really awful narration by Macy Gray who <laughs> It plays the maid, and as the movie goes on, she's narrating stuff. She has no way of knowing. She's narrating like a sex scene between two characters. She had no way that this. Wait, wait, wait! narration for a sex scene. She's kind of talking over the top of it. This is incredible. <laughs> so it's a it's a it's a weird one. You're watching it, and it's impossible at points not to, not to just be laughing at how kind of badly put together it is. Just tell me who directs this. So this is Lee Daniels, who obviously did Precious a few years back, and that was critically acclaimed and it won awards and that kept uh, to a tone and that tone was very very sad yes this keeps to a tone of well they're going for it I mean Matthew McConaughey called this film transcendental sexidation which kind of sums <laughs> it up I, I don't know what they were going for but I would say it is worth a watch just to see these actors doing some of the stuff that they do because I don't know quite how Lee Daniels has managed to get them to do it but Nicole Kidman has you know there is a scene where 
There is a scene, I mean, David Yellowo talked about it when, when yes. he was on here, so I won't talk too much about it, but um, they go to visit John Cusack, the whole gang go to visit John Cusack in prison, okay. and, and essentially it turns into um, Nicole Kidman and John Cusack having air sex from opposite ends of the room uh, while everyone is watching, and it's, it's probably what's, the what's, maddest um, thing you're going to see. What's, what's air sex? Uh, they're kind of... Simulating? Simulating sex with their hands. Hang on. Okay. Let's not actually go into this. <laughs> we'll talk about it later, Chris. We'll talk right. about it later. We'll, we'll talk is, about it um, much later. Is Alan Cumming in this movie? <laughs> he, he, he wanted to be. He wanted to be, but they, they turned him down. But the BAMF effects were too expensive. The so BAMF they... effects mid-air sex were just too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, it's many things, uh, the paperboy. It's not boring. So I kind of recommend it. I would recommend watching it just because it is an experience. You're not gonna, you're not gonna forget about this film. You're not gonna, you're gonna want to come out and tell people about it. Um, there is also a sex scene where they in, <laughs> Lee Daniels intercuts shots of dead animals. <laughs> this, is this, movie sounds, this movie sounds amazing. This, sound, this movie sounds like it could go either way. It could be a five star trash masterpiece or a one star trash disaster piece. Naturally, then we've given it three stars. Uh, so <laughs> wait, wait, that's. <laughs> <laughs> this a trash to piece or a detrash. A trash to piece. disaster piece or a trash a trash aster piece. It's a trash. Or a aster trash piece. Let's go with trash aster piece. <laughs> Let's go with that. So I would say I would say watch it at some point. <laughs> just, your just, you might want to have some strong liquor on hand. Strap yourself in for the paper boy and do uh, some SX. Okay, uh, we're doing some air talking now. Uh, let's stay with Nick because you had the misfortune to sit through the remake of Red Dawn, didn't you? Which is out this week. I did. I'm so sorry. I did. It was it was awful. Um, I, I was essentially forced to watch it. I, I did watch it in a double bill with Life of Pi, so I got what? this one out of the way, and then I, which, I went... Which was first? Uh, this was first. Okay. I was in a cinema with um, two other people. One was a journalist who I dragged to, to come along, <laughs> and the other Chris one I, I think was... <laughs> it may have been Chris Hemsworth. He, he looked very sad, um, this person. And uh, it, it's 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 really awful. I gave it one star. Um, it's probably the worst film I saw last year. It's really terrible. And the, the crying shame of it is that it's Dan, directed by Dan Bradley. It's his debut, and this is the guy who choreographed most of the action in. I think you know the, the action in the Bourne films. Yeah, second unit and Bond Bourne, as well. Quantum and this guy Source. knows how to do action. But the action in this, like, I, the action is is pretty nondescript, and the drama. Is I mean the, the so if you don't if you don't know Red Dawn though yeah so this is a remake of uh, the John Milius 1980s film yes um, which I which I love that is a trash trash aster piece um, <laughs> and the original stars Patrick Swayze and, and Charlie's great cast the original is a fantastic cast of like the sort of what, what would you call them the uh, the, the Brad Pack, Brad Pack. The Brad Pack this was Charlie Sheen C Thomas Howell Leah Leah Thompson um, Gen- Jennifer Grey's and it Powers Booth turns up at one point but it's a fantastic cast. And it's about an invasion of America. Yeah. And uh, the the big talking point about this film is that when they f- when they shot this film, the bad guys were Chinese. They got to the editing room, and at some point someone went, hang on, lots of Chinese people see movies. They're not going to want to watch this. Uh, not sort of thinking that no one would want to watch this anyway, because it's dreadful. <laughs> um, and then they had the bright idea to, and I'm not kidding, digitally change the Chinese people into North Koreans. Wow. So, um, yeah. basically, wow. any shot... And I was watching the film, I've got to admit, because I, I, I mentally checked out about half an hour in because it's so bad, but there is some fun to be had from just looking at shots and figuring out how they digitally changed flags. And it's 
It's a really weird one. Uh, the the cast is pretty much charisma free. It's got Chris Hemsworth in it. I think he shot this years ago. This was this yeah. was shot and this was kind of his. This movie's been on the shelf for a very long, long time because it was an MGM film along with Captain in the Woods, and it was it was put in the shelf whenever that that studio was going through possible bankruptcy issues that ultimately were resolved. So he shot this around the same time, I think, as Captain in the Woods. This was mm. before mm-hmm. he was Thor and before he was famous, but off the back of that Star Trek bump that he got for being Kirk's dad. What he should have done was slip them a bit of cash to the to the people doing the, the effects and just said, can you digitally change me into a <laughs> North Korean person? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, while they were changing stuff, they could have just changed him and photoshopped him out, but yeah. he must be a bit embarrassed about this. But the, the, I mean, the, the real problem with this film is that it takes the story so seriously and it is the most stupid story that you just cannot buy into it you're going what how are the North Koreans invading the whole of America how is this happening and they never go into any of the, the you know so it's completely unbelievable mm. um, and it's got it's just endless motivational speeches and, and so who else, dialogue. Is, who else is in the cast because is it analogous to the backpack these days I know Tom Cruise is uh, and Nicole Kidman's son Connor Cruise is in this and yes Josh Hutchison's in it as well isn't he Josh Hutchison is in this um it's a good question. Adrian. It's a really good question. Adrian Palicki's in this yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so it's not it's not exactly the Brat Pack, is it? Uh, no, it's not the Brat Pack. No. It's a fairly forgettable assortment of people, to be quite honest with you. Um, the guy who plays Chris Hemsworth's brother, Josh Peck, is is terrible. He's really bad. I I actually had a bit of an allergic reaction to him, and he has a lot of he he's kind of becomes the hero of the piece. And yeah, don't don't do not watch Red Dawn. So to summarise, you liked it, loved it, loved it, fantastic. So that's one star for Red Dawn and if you haven't seen the John Millie's original do check it out I think it's out on Blu-ray these days and it's utterly demented and it's not for those of left wing persuasion it's also quite bad I should it's, say it's, uh, it's well it's I'm not going to go there I watched it a couple of years ago there. I've had a few arguments on Twitter this week with people who have read my review and are saying the original is incredible because I, I you know I say largely forgotten uh, mm. and uh people have been def- come running to its defence I, I thought it was pretty bad when I saw it yeah, I, I have a very very soft spot for Red Dawn and Harry Dean Stanton's "Avenge Me" bit at the uh, at the at the internment camp. Is there a, a bit that's uh, similar in this movie where someone yells "Avenge Me"? Is there anything like that? Probably a North Korean person says. Yeah. At some point, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's a shame. Also out this week is Elijah Wood cutting people up in Maniac. That's another remake, and we, one we gave four stars to. And there's Christian Munju, the guy behind uh, Four Months, Three Weeks, Two Days, and that's his new film Beyond the Hills. And we also gave four stars to that one. Though those will both be in limited release around the country. And that is it for this week's and this year's I guess the first year's Empire Podcast join us next week for more film related fun where we'll be out of nappies and entering our second year with some trepidation never fear though we'll have the likes of Ryan Reynolds and Jason Bateman and Melissa McCarthy from Identity Thief to guide us through the murk until then it's goodbye from Helen goodbye happy birthday Uh, it's goodbye from Nick happy pod day goodbye (laughs) it's goodbye from Ali goodbye then and uh, it's goodbye from me I'm off to eat a vegetarian meal for charity Pray for me. Bye.